Hello and welcome to the Foundry Church podcast. Uh, my name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church. And we are so glad that you found us, whether you've been a part of our community for a while or whether you're just stumbling across us on the internet somewhere, or whether you've been a Christian for a very long time or maybe you are just discovering or rediscovering uh, what a life of faith looks like for you. Welcome, we're glad that you're here. Uh, what you're about to hear is a message from our current sermon series called Life After Death, where we're taking a look at what it means to die to the self so that we can step into the fullness of life that Jesus calls us to. Let's get to it. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm so very glad you're here. Thanks. Um, yeah, whether you're joining us in person or online, my name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, and we are all about a better you and a better world. I want to thank Mike and CFR for being here. Um, Mike talked about me being little and immature and not grown up and how not much has changed. I can't argue with that, but I remember growing up thinking, man, Mike was really old, and that was... That was a few years ago, so I mean, just... <laughs> Today we begin a brand new series that we're calling Life After Death. And, and believe it or not, we're not talking about heaven, we're not talking about eternity, we're not talking about like the afterlife. What we're gonna be talking about is the art of dying to the self so that we can step into the fullness of life in the here and now. That we learn to die to the self now so that we can experience more life now, this is about the life that is found after the death of self. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the self, talking about the ego, talking about what does it actually mean to die to the self? What are some particular things, practices we can use to aid in the death of self? And of course, we're going to talk about the beauty of what will be experienced after the death of self. Now, a really, really obvious and simple example of life after death is the butterfly, right? We, we know this, we think of this. Uh, the, the, there is this experience of, of um, you have, have this butterfly, it goes through the four stages, right? You're familiar with this in school. In fact, we, I think we have a photo of the four stages of the butterfly, right? It starts as an egg, that's great. It goes into a caterpillar, we understand that. And then it goes into the chrysalis, where it goes through this process of transformation, this metamorphosis. Um, and then it turns into this butterfly. And this, this process of metamorphosis is like this beautiful, magical sort of thing. And, 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 and we love this. In fact, we, I think we like to apply this to like our human condition. It's kind of like the, the, the ugly duckling. Like you, things might not be perfect right now, but in a little bit, if you just hang in there, you're gonna turn into something wonderful and beautiful. So be the butterfly, right? The butterfly is often a symbol of like beauty, fragility, a symbol of freedom. These beautiful little creatures that we greatly admire and marvel at as they flit around us and the flowers and all that kind of wonderful stuff. In fact, I found a, like this week, I was just looking for fun, found all kinds of poems about butterflies, right? Because we all like butterflies. Let me, let me read one of the poems to you. This is from an unknown author called A Butterfly Hovers Closely. A butterfly hovers closely and then quickly moves away, swiftly going wheresoever her heart may freely say. A butterfly lowers and rises with the wind's gusty breath as if coupled within a dance of loving tenderness. The butterfly only knows how it feels to have wings, to kiss the petals of flowers in such elegant flitterings. 
To have but one moment of such an exquisite flight would be like a dream where all seems so right. Yeah, we like this kind of thing, right? We marvel at it. It speaks to us. There's something about it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about butterflies. I learned something about butterflies this week. Actually, I learned a ton of stuff about butterflies that are going to like shape and guide this whole series because it's fantastic. Um, but one of the things that I learned had to do with the chrysalis. Now, now you may know this. I, however, did not. Like I, I'm, I'm a bit slower than some folks. So I never heard this. And growing up in school, I don't remember being taught this. I came across this article in Scientific America about like, what happens in the process of the butterfly going through metamorphosis. Right. So I want to read you part of this article because um, it's fascinating. We're about a paragraph in, and they're talking about this radical transformation that takes place. Okay. So look at this. This is what they say. But what does that radical transformation entail? How does, does a caterpillar rearrange itself into a butterfly? What happens inside a chrysalis or a cocoon? First, the caterpillar digests itself. What? Did you guys know this? I, I didn't know, I had never heard this. First, the caterpillar digests itself, releasing enzymes to dissolve all of its tissues. If you were to cut open a cocoon or chrysalis at just the right time, caterpillar soup would ooze out. Mmm, just like mom used to make. <laughs> the contents of the pupa are not entirely an amorphous mess. Certain highly organized groups of cells known as imaginal discs survive the digestive process. Before hatching, when a caterpillar is still developing its, inside its eggs, it grows an imaginal disc for each of the adult body parts it will need as a mature butterfly or moth. Discs for its eyes, for its wings, its legs, and so on. Once a caterpillar has disintegrated all of its tissues except for the imaginal discs, those, those discs use the protein-rich soup all around them to fuel the rapid cell division required to form the wings, antenna, legs, eyes, genitals, and all the other features of an adult butterfly or moth. Check this out. One study even suggests that moths remember what they learned in the later stages of their lives as caterpillars. <laughs> what? Did you catch all of this? Like this is some crazy, crazy stuff. I never learned about this in grade school. The caterpillar completely dissolves its previous form. It breaks itself down into this soup or into this ooze, right? You talk about dying to the self, sheesh. Like this is like the picture of it. And then it takes the, 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 those proteins and it uses that, that caterpillar soup and those imaginal discs to build itself up into something entirely new. Also, uh, how, how wild is it that they can go through this process and then still have some memory of their previous life? Like, that's, that's insane. Like, and how did they figure that out anyways? Excuse me, do you remember what it was like to crawl? Why, yes, I do. He does. See, I knew it. I knew it. It's interesting, they talk about the, the imaginal discs um, so what are they? They're these highly organized groups of cells that survive the digestive process. So even though the caterpillar uh, m uh, most uh, dissolves itself uh, in order to get to like this next thing, into the next stage of life, there, there are these components that are built within it already. There are these components that um, are 
the things that it needs to be its truest self. And they've been in there since the very beginning, right? There's like a whole lesson here as well. The term imaginal comes from the Latin word imagine, or imago, which means image. So they have within them the image of what they will one day be, and they have to dissolve themselves, the framework of the selves, to get to the self that has been contained within them all along. We might do like a whole sermon on that next couple, I don't know, maybe next week. So there's this pattern that we see in, in the caterpillar, in the, in the life stages of the butterfly, that is actually found, I think, in so much of life. This pattern, and there's this pattern that's order, disorder, and reorder, right? I think we've talked about some of this before, but this is a pattern that we see everywhere, all throughout this. We see this in the butterfly, right? You have the order that is the caterpillar. This is like the life that you've been given. You're crawling along the ground. Then you have the disorder of the chrysalis in which everything is literally breaking down. Then you have the reorder of the butterfly. <clears throat> this is the story of our lives. We were raised with a particular worldview. We had this order that we were handed. And then at some point, sometimes in college, like whatever, you start questioning, pushing back on things, or maybe it's later in life, depending on just what you go through. Then there's this like disorder, because like, you're like, I'm not sure if it, what, what I want to hold on to here from what I was handed. And then things get a bit messy, and then you get a bit unsure of yourself, and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, who I am, all this stuff, all these great big questions. And then eventually you get to the place of like answering some of those and coming up with your own thoughts and ideas, and you have this reorder that is now your life. This is the story of the Exodus. The people are, are generations of people raised in slavery. They're taught this is, this is who you are. Your identity is slaves. This is what our people are. They're, they're, we live in a world in which the gods allow for other people to own people as slavery. This is the world. Then God re rescues them and he brings them into the desert for 40 years where he's doing what? He's undoing all these unhealthy things that, he learned, that they learned in Egypt. So there's this disorder and then that leads them to the promised land which is the re ordering. This is what happens when we go through some sort of life event or experience, right? Everything is fine. There is this order to my life, the ups and downs. I get it. And then I have some sort of medical scare or I go through a divorce or I lose my job or somebody close to me dies, whatever that thing is. Then there's this disorder that we have to figure out and kind of sort through and but then we know on the other side of that difficulty, there will be this reorder. There will be this re renewing of the self. That I come out of that situation with a new perspective and a new sense of self. But here's the thing about this. So this pattern's everywhere. Order, disorder, reorder. The thing about this pattern is that you cannot get from the order to the reorder without going through the disorder. Which means... And I should say, the disorder is always going to be a bit uncomfortable. It's always going to be maybe even a bit painful. It's going to be something, something's going to have to break down or fall apart or unravel in order for you to be able to reorder it. You can't get from order to reorder without going through the disorder. And the disorder is going to be a bit messy, right? Maybe a bit like the caterpillar soup inside the chrysalis. You have to turn into the soup before you can sprout the wings and fly. So this idea of dying to the self 
is found directly and indirectly uh, all over the scriptures. Let me show you just a few examples of this, and then uh, we'll keep going. By a few, I mean several, so we're going to go fast. Luke 9, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me, right? Kind of an obvious one. If you want to follow Jesus, you must die to the self. This is a daily process. The cross is a picture of death. So you die to the self so that you may live. Galatians 5, chapter 24 I'm just gonna go through these. I'm not gonna back up because it's gonna take too long. Those uh, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ have put to death the selfish desires that they may find life. John chapter 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Right, here you have this scene again. It's the death of something, the death of self that leads to new life, that leads to a flourishing. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not die to the self will not experience fully the presence of Christ. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Put aside your pride and ego, that is to die to the self so that God will raise you up. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse two. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know this one. This word transformed is, in the Greek text is metamorpho, which is literally metamorphosis, where we get that word from, which we know means to change or transform, which we now know is like a really difficult kind of process that involves the complete dissolving of the self. So Paul says, die to the self in the ways of the world in which you align the self with the patterns and thought processes of the world, right? You know, like, I have to earn and prove and accumulate and do in order to validate myself. Or I have to look out for number one or whatever. All these ways of thinking need to die. These need to change. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. Uh, he, he says, uh, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no shirt, no extra shirt. Take nothing with you, right? Obviously about trusting God to provide for you, but also I think it has to do with pride and ego and the self. All the things that we may use to give us a sense of self, all the things that we may then feel the need to protect and defend and whatever. In Romans chapter eight, Paul is talking about baptism. Romans chapter six, excuse me. He says, therefore, uh, we were buried with him through baptism in de into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is this giant picture of being buried and being brought back to life. You're buried under the waters of baptism so that you may be raised up into the new life that is Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So you are this new creation in Christ. But how does one come to be in Christ? Through death, through the baptism, through the death of self so that you may be reunited with the life of Christ. And then, of course, you have like the whole like literal picture of Jesus on the cross. Well, he dies and he is resurrected, and there is new life, right? So the whole, this whole idea of death to the self seems to be kind of a big deal. There's this underlying thought and idea throughout so much of the scripture, but here's the thing about it. It's not just dying to the self for the sake of dying to the self. It's dying to the self for the sake of finding the life that comes after the death of self, right? It's always death that leads to new life, so that's what we're gonna to try to do in the series is we're gonna to try to uh, like get to the fullness of life quicker 
by learning the art of dying to the self better and quicker. If we want to experience the life that comes after death, we have to learn how to die to the self better and quicker. So what we're going to be doing is, is looking at a few of these things, talking about some practices, doing this the next couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at it from all different angles. And what's cool to me is that not only is this concept and idea of death into new life that, that's found in the scripture, is that this stuff is found everywhere in nature as well. You, you know this. This is fairly obvious. Like, this is something that we see on a continual basis. For example, just something simple, like the sun setting, the death, and then the sun rising in the new morning, the new life. There's this pattern of life and death. Every time you go to bed, you go to sleep for a while, and then you wake up. It's a pattern of life and death. Um, any flower or plant or tree or anything that has seeds works this way, right? This is why Jesus used the seeds as an illustration, that when the flower or fruit dies, it leaves behind the seeds that can then be planted or that then grow up out of the ground, and they have this new life. This is what we see happening with the seasons, that you have the death of winter, and then you have the new life of spring. This is what we see happening in something like the first law of thermodynamics, that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred or transformed. There is death, and then there is life, the life that leads to new life. This is what you see happening in like hibernation with any animals, something like a bear or something. They go into a cave or a hole for the winter. They disappear for several months into the ground, and then come springtime, they, begin, they get up and they begin to live again. This is what we see when we look at the stars, that when a star dies, it explodes, and that becomes the material, the birth stuff for the new stars to develop. Like, this is, stuff is all over the place. It's all over the place. So, when we learn and when we practice dying to the self so that we may experience the fullness of life that comes after death, what we are doing is that we are aligning ourselves with the pattern of the entirety of the universe. We're aligning ourselves with the pattern of the universe that God created, and apparently this pattern is important enough for it to be everywhere, and apparently this pattern is important enough for God to gift God's self to humanity in the form of Jesus to come and teach us and show us like what this looks like through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's the thing about the self. Here's the thing about the ego. is that it actually does have a purpose, right? It's not all bad. The, the drive of the ego, like that's it's something that we need for like the survival of the self. We need this to, to keep us alive. It keeps us moving forward. It's often the ego that's responsible for much of what gets accomplished, that for whatever reason we want to go and do and create and affect things. And not only that, but you have to have an ego or a sense of self in order to know what it is that we need to die to, right? So it has this role, it has this purpose, but it also has the potential to come with a whole lot of baggage. It, it's the self or the ego that if we're not careful will, cause, will be the cause of a large part of the issues and problems and difficulties that we will face. If you were to look through or think through some of the difficulties you've been through this past week, this past month, this past year, and you were to get down into it, my guess is that most of those issues would be somewhat tied or connected to your ego. Like for example, the other day we went to, um, my family went to a friend's house and we did, like, had a little pool hangout party thing. And we were playing and had a great time and then all of a sudden one of my kids started having a meltdown. Right, and it dry, like I was, I was so frustrated. I was like, "Really, dude?" Like, so finally after like this meltdown was taking place, I, I like, I pulled him aside and I said, "Listen, that's enough. You need to get your act together." You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, I'm like, what does that even mean? Get your act, get your act together. Okay, so uh, I was a bit hot 
about his bad behavior. What I realized later as I think back through that situation was that that frustration in that moment wasn't really about that kid. My frustration was about how his behavior would reflect on me as a parent in front of my friends. That's the self. That's the ego. That's the thing that I have to learn to die to. Right? Or you know, anytime that Jess and I, um, like anytime we get into a tiff, we don't fight, we get into tiffs. It's like the cuter term, right? We, we get into a tiff. Anytime we get into a tiff, it's usually something about the ego or the self. Right? When it comes to our family and how we work and how we operate at the house, right? we have a particular way of doing things. And, and, and so for me, like, I have a particular understanding of how things should go. It's what I like to call the right way. <laughs> it's, I like to call it the right way. And so uh, sometimes she has like a difference of opinion. And sometimes we have like uh, an, a misunderstanding. And, and so uh, if I'm not careful, I end up spending a lot of time trying to convince her about what the right way looks like or being frustrated that she's not doing it the right way. That frustration really isn't about her, is it? It's about me, it's about my ego. Because ultimately, th this concept, this idea of the right way, especially if you're a dude, is a myth. It's a, it's a myth, right? right? We, always, we all think all of our ways are right. And, and because my way is right, then I have to end up defending or propping up or protecting my way. And then if something happens that isn't my way, then I interpret that, I understand that, I receive that or view that as some sort of threat, which means now I have to gear up for battle in order to protect my stuff, right? That's the ego. That's the self. That's the thing that I must die to. How much better and easier would my life and my relationship with my wife, how much easier would that be if she would just do it the right way? <laughs> if, if I would learn to die to the self quicker, it would make all the difference in the world, wouldn't it? Uh, even things like getting cut off in traffic, getting, getting stuck behind someone who's driving less than the speed limit. You ever find yourself in this situation and you start getting worked up and you start getting all this tension and you can feel your body like clenching up? Maybe you have a few choice words to say. Maybe you wave to them politely. Maybe you drive up on their bumper really close because you're really gonna prove them something to them. I don't know what we think we're gonna prove other than you're an idiot because if he hits the brakes, you're gonna crash. Like, well, why, why does that get us so worked up? It's like you're still getting to where you're going. It's still a lot faster than a horse. It's a lot faster than walking, so why does it bother us so much? Well, it's the ego, it's the self, right? I, I have things to do, I have places to be. I am the more important one here in this scenario. So when you cut me off or when you drive slow in front of me, it's viewed as an attack on the self, which then I have to defend or protect. That frustration isn't really about them. That frustration is about you. How much calmer would your commute or your errand running be if you died to the self as you were driving? Right? Think about this, uh, if you've ever had a friend or a family member say something or do something that really hurts you. If you dig through it, most likely what you will find, the root of that thing is going to be connected to the ego and the self. It was a deeply personal thing that exposed something. Whether it was right or wrong, they connected with something deep within you and it hurt. What about getting embarrassed? Why do we get embarrassed? 
What kind of things do we get embarrassed about? We get embarrassed when we mess up things. We get embarrassed when our plans don't work. We get embarrassed when we do something really dumb or ridiculous, right? Maybe over a poor decision, whatever. We get embarrassed when we, uh, when something that we have some sort of guilt or shame over gets exposed. We get embarrassed when a version of ourself is projected that is not the image of the self that we want to project. That's the self, that's the ego, that's the thing that you need to die to. To die to the self is to not be embarrassed because you've let go of the pride and the image and the trying to control the image and how people see you. When Jess and I first got married, uh, maybe I've said this, I don't know, I got taken on a dog scam. Yeah, it sucked. I, I, uh, poor little guy. He had a name and everything, and I kept sending money, and he didn't show up. That was really embarrassing for me, right? And for a long time, I mean, that was 13, 14 years ago. And, and for a long time, that w- like lingered with me. And even when we'd go to like family gatherings, her dad would be like, hey, did you guys ever get that dog? And I'd be like, you know we didn't get that dog. <laughs> like, why are you trying to bring that up? When you know, and so it was like all these little stab wounds to the heart, and I felt this great deal of embarrassment. So eventually, I had to learn to let that go. I had to let go of that so that I could move beyond that. And what it allowed me to do now is that now, because I've let go, yeah, I'm, I'm not like thrilled about it, but also I don't feel this deep sense of embarrassment. Like now I can use it as an illustration in a sermon. <laughs> right? Like I let that thing go so that I can move on. We could go on and on and on here about how much of our issues are rooted in defending and protecting and maintaining the ego, but the point is, until we learn to develop and continually practice the art of dying to the self, we will not experience the fullness of life that is awaiting for us after the death of self. And that is the life that you were made for. That's usually the kind of life that we want. That's the thing that we were built for. That will be found after the death of self because it's death that leads to life. You can only get to the reorder by going through the disorder. It's going through the difficulty, the death of self, that helps you to be reborn like the butterfly. This is what the entirety of the universe is revealing to us, that from death there comes this new life. This is what so, so much of the scripture, uh, of the Bible is inviting us into. Die to the self so that you may live. This is what Jesus makes so very clear on the cross through his death, burial, and then resurrection, right? So maybe today the question for us is like, what what do you need to die to? Well, obviously like the whole self, but sometimes that's a little bit difficult. So why don't we talk about like specific things, just specific things. Like how would you define yourself? If you were to write out a list or had somebody else write out a list about who you were, what kind of things would, would go on that list? Well, uh, what, what's your favorite color? Oh, I like blue, green, red, whatever. What's your favorite sports team? Oh, I like this team, I like that team, I don't have a team, whatever. Well, what's your job? You have this job, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Maybe you own a business, maybe you're a wife, maybe you're a husband, right? Maybe you're somebody's child, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a Christian, a former Catholic, some sort of Baptist, somewhere in between. Maybe you voted Republican, maybe you voted Democrat, maybe you voted Libertarian, upper class, lower class, middle class. You went to college, you didn't go to college. You're a patriot, you're an anti-establishment, whatever, right? You could, you could put a whole lot of things on that list in an attempt to define yourself. But all those things aren't really who you are. 
they may describe some bits of you. They may describe a little bit about how you think, whatever, but that's not who you are. All those things are the things that the ego and the self uses to cling to as a way to give yourself a sense of identity, as a way to validate the ego. And so because you're holding on to these things, that's what you think is who you are. And then when something bumps up against who you are, then all of a sudden there's going to be like this tension. If there's, an, if there's opposition or difference of opinion, what the ego does is it feels the need to defend or protect, which means that there's going to be some sort of animosity somewhere that you will have to continually face. Like for example, if I vote blue and I watch blue news and then they talk about the reds, I will probably bristle because that's not what, that's going against my thoughts and ideas. If I vote red and watch red news and then they talk about the blues, I will probably bristle because that's not the identity that I want to associate with. So then when I take that and I go into like a public setting and I meet people that might not share the same color, there's going to be some sort of tension, right? Why? What are we doing with that? What, what, what? That tension is, is really about the ego, right? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but... When it comes to like our politics today, there's, there's a bit of like uh, tension. <laughs> Have you seen that? Like just a little bit, there's just this little bit of tension. And, and so why is that? Well, because we're all defending this identity that we have in relation to how we think the country should be ran, values, perceptions, all this stuff, which really comes back to like the self and the ego that we're trying to defend. So the things we cling to, we end up misunderstanding as a sense of our own identity. And then when that identity gets challenged or questioned, it causes issues within us. Right? So whether we're, talking about, whether we're talking about traffic, whether we're talking about how to deal with your kids, how to navigate relationships, politics, whatever, the pattern of the universe, the invitation of the scriptures, and the example of Jesus is all die to the self so that you may have new life, better life, freer life, more fulfilled life, grace-filled life, mercy-filled life, life to the fullest. So let's go back to the butterfly. The butterfly goes through four stages, the egg, the larva, the chrysalis, and the butterfly. Now, based on um, the monarch, the non-migratory monarch butterfly, which is different than the migratory monarch butterfly I learned this week. It's a lot different. We're actually gonna talk about it in a couple weeks. It's fascinating. So the non-migratory butter, uh, monarch butterfly, it spins three to five days in the egg. It spins approximately two weeks as a caterpillar. It spends approximately two weeks in the chrysalis, which we learned it's dissolving itself entirely, creating this caterpillar ooze, and then building itself back up. And then it lives for about an average of four weeks. Okay, so if you do the math on that, four weeks as a butterfly, two weeks as a caterpillar, two weeks as a chrysalis, and then a couple days in an egg, eight weeks. If I do my math correctly, and I'm a preacher, not a mathematician, but uh, two weeks out of the eight, that's like a quarter of its life is in the dissolving process. If we were to take this idea and apply it to like humans and say like the average lifespan is about 80, let's say, 
You would spend the first 20 years of your life as a caterpillar learning what the world's like and what it's about. You would spend the next 20 years, your 30, 20s and 30s, like in the chrysalis, unlearning the things that you were handed. And then by the time you get to 40, you're ready to sprout your wings and fly, you beautiful little butterfly. Which actually seems a bit fitting, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like that's like actually in line with like our own humanity, how we go through these stages and go through this process? So the, the, the thing about this though is for us, this isn't a one-time process. For the butterflies, it's a one-time process. For us, this is a daily process. And the cool thing is, is that you don't have to take 20 years of your life to do this. Unlike the butterfly who doesn't have a choice as to when and where this will happen, this is something that we can do like now. This is something we can do today. This is something we can do tomorrow, the day after that. This is not something that you have to wait for half your life in order to be able to develop an experience. Although it's going to take practice, although it's going to take focus, it's going to take effort, but you can choose to live in a way now in which you learn to spread your wings quicker. I mean, imagine what life would be like. Imagine what your life would feel like, the beauty and the freedom that you would experience if you became a master of dying to the self. Imagine never feeling like you need to prove or defend yourself. How incredible would that be? Imagine what it would be like to not get angry or offended over stupid things because of your pride. Imagine not living with any insecurity because you died to the self. There's nothing to be insecure about. Imagine being free from embarrassment and fear and anxiety and not being enough. Imagine the freedom of letting go of all of these things that we cling to as some sort of identity of the self. The things that we cling to that we end up needing to either fight for or fight against. Imagine the peace and the calm that you could experience if you truly died to the self and the ego. I had a situation uh, not too long ago where I was engaged in a conversation with this guy, this gentleman, and we weren't really seeing eye to eye on a, on a particular thing. And then somewhere along the way, I could feel like, I could feel like tension welling up. You ever had these conversations where you just like feel it coming? And I just started getting really uncomfortable and there was this anxiety and, and, I, and I could see that this wasn't heading in like any sort of positive or constructive direction. Um, like every word he said, I was just starting to like cringe and twitch and bristle. I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. So I could have very easily like just taken that energy and like launched an all-out attack on him, right? Like kick, scream, punch, whatever, metaphorically speaking in this conversation, like because I didn't, I didn't like what he was saying. I didn't like where this thing was going. But thankfully, something within me stopped myself. You know, spirit, God, something said, I don't have to go down this road. Something within me stopped and said, I don't have to do this. And so in the middle of that conversation, I just kind of paused. I took a breath to myself. I calmed. I let that tension kind of drift out and away. And then I sat and I listened. I sat and I listened. And he was able to finish what he was talking about. And I found some peace in the middle of his ramblings in a, in a conversation that I completely didn't agree with his viewpoint. And then I was able to get up from the table and I was able to move on with my life. And I didn't care any, carry any of the stuff afterwards. There was no resentment, no bitterness, no animosity. I just left it where it was and I moved on. Now I gotta be honest, 
it felt incredible. It was incredible. And then so like I left that situation. I was like, man, that was awesome. I should really try to do more of this. This is fantastic. And then I started to develop a sense of superiority about how awesome and great I was. And then, <laughs> and then I realized like that was the wrong thing. So then I had to die to all of that too. It's a process, people. It's, it's a process. It's a daily process that we go through. And sometimes it's difficult. It's, it's, it's going to be difficult. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into some stuff that I believe will be really good, that we're going to be digging into all of this ideas, this ideas of what it looks like to die to the self a little bit more. What I want you to see in here today is just really simple, is that the pattern and the movement of the universe is from death to life. The calling, the encouragement, the challenge of the scripture is from death to life. The invitation of Jesus is to die to the self so that you may experience the fullness of life after death. We die to the self in Christ that, Christ, that in Christ we can become a new creation so that we may sprout wings and fly with this freedom and the grace and the mercy and the love of God. In the late 1800s, there was a French priest by the name of Charles de Foucauld. He wrote a poem known as The Prayer of Abandonment. Before we go into our time of communion, I wanna, I wanna read through this to you um, because I read this in, in Prayer of Abandonment. I mean, this is also the prayer of dying to yourself. I want you to see what he wrote. It was like 1897. He said, Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O oh Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, for you are my Father. I surrender myself. All, all, all. I die to the self. This is an act of surrender. This is a bold prayer. This is a brave prayer, a prayer about the abandonment of the self, the prayer about the complete dying to the self for the sake of stepping into the life that follows. We're gonna go into our time of communion. We get together around the table. We participate in the gift of communion. I'm gonna ask our ushers to get in places if you haven't already. This is a time where we remember the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, where we remember the example that he has set forth before us, that as we align ourselves with the death of Christ, we align ourselves with the life that follows. So we're gonna take these elements, the bread and the juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're going to remember the work that was done on the cross. We're going to give thanks that because of his death, we now have new and eternal life. If you're at home, you're joining us online, we'd love for you to participate in this moment. Grab some crackers, some juice, whatever it is, but sit with us here and now. Commune with us in this moment with your Heavenly Father. This is a time where we remember to reflect, to become one with each other, to become one with our Creator. This is a time to think, to pray, to sort through, to think through what are you clinging to? 
What aspects of your life have you not died to? My guess is you probably have a good idea of this. And so maybe your prayer today is like offering that to God and asking him to help you to die to that. If by chance you don't know what that is, maybe you just simply need to ask God to reveal to you what that is. What is the thing I need to die to? What is the thing I'm clinging to? What are, where am I finding my sense of self and identity that is outside of who God is? Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never been buried with him in the waters of baptism and you've yet to experience that fullness of life. If you need to do that, if you're interested in doing that, we have people that are here around the building that would love to pray for you, talk to you. I'll be here after church. Come find me. We can talk about that. If you're online or at home, you can type that into the chat, drop a line in there, and someone will reach out to you. If you need prayer, we have our prayer people. Brian and Dell over here would love to pray for you uh, by the cross. I'm not sure if we have anybody over here. Somebody. Oh, there we go. Miss Kathleen Nimick. If you need some prayer, go to them. They would love to pray for you or over you. If you're online, drop us, drop us a, a line in the chat and we'll pray for you there. As we participate in this meal, we want to remember the work of Jesus. We want to allow this time to be what it needs to be for you. Maybe you sit quietly. Maybe it's time to make a decision. Maybe you need to think through that prayer, the prayer of abandonment. Maybe you need to make your own prayer of abandonment. Maybe you need just to be encouraged. I don't know what this time is for you. This is time to commune with your heavenly Father, to remember the beauty, the work of Christ, to remember that it's life that follows our death. And we are forever grateful to Jesus for doing that. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for the beauty of the world we live in, the lessons and, uh, that are found all around us in nature and your creation. God, we thank you for the butterfly, for the beauty and the wonder of it. God, we thank you for your scripture that continually invites us to die to the self, that continually invites us to a, a, a better way to live. God, we're so very grateful for your son, that through him we have this literal example of death and resurrection and the life that follows. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what it means for us. We thank you that he, that he, he came to teach us how to live and then to die to the self so that we may live all the more. Yeah, we thank you for this time where we get to gather around the table and come into this place of common union. That we get to participate in this meal as one body. And that we get to remember that through you, we find grace and mercy and love. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for taking some time out of your week to spend a little bit of time with us here on the Foundry Church Podcast. Uh, if you would like more information about who we are and what we do and what we believe, 
Uh, you can check us out at our website, thefoundryc.org. It's the foundry, just the letter C, dot O-R-G. There should be a link to that in the show notes if I've done my job well. Uh, you can also reach out to us if you'd like to start a conversation or have any questions we can answer for you. You can send an email to info at thefoundryc.org. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to, uh, like I said, answer any questions that you've got uh, or respond to uh, comments or suggestions that you may have. Uh, for now, though, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Foundry Church Podcast. We'll see you next time.